Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone, thank you for joining us for this bonus segment of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Tonight we're going to be going over our biggest surprises so far of 2021 across MLB. And before I do that, I just want to let you all know, as of today, we are the number 39 ranked podcast in MLB. That's the highest we've ever been rated, and I never imagined... We would ever get this high, but we are, and I'm wondering how much higher can we go? And all of these other podcasts that we're beating now, a lot of them are backed by Barstool Sports, John Boy Media, NBC Sports, and we're beating a lot of them. And they're all backed by all of those blogs and media networks I just mentioned. We're not backed by any blog, any media network. We're backed by you guys and only you guys. And we're 39th. So thank you for that. For anyone who's rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, that's a big part of it. Because when you do that, it makes us a lot more visible across that flat platform. So again, thank you very much. I am not alone tonight. I am not going to be talking to myself for the whole 20, 25 minutes. Job Goddard is here with us. So, ready to get into it, Job? Yeah, I'm stoked to get into it. As the listeners don't know this yet, but I, I won't be on, on this week's breakdown because I'm going to Vegas. So, this gets my little baseball take in for, for the week. I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, absolutely. I've never been to Vegas. I've been to Foxwoods in uh, Connecticut. You must have been there once or twice. or I have. You're not, you're not missing out on too much. Foxwoods does a good job. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big Texas Hold'em guy. And uh, I like the craps tables. You lose a lot of money fast playing those. But uh, but yeah. But anyway, so uh, why don't we start off since we're, we're a Red Sox podcast. We're going to be getting MLB wide here in a second. But what's your biggest Red Sox surprise so far? Uh, my biggest Red Sox surprise is a guy that you were super high on coming into the season. That's Christian Arroyo. Um I didn't think that he really had a spot on this roster. And granted, for those who are listening to this, we did record this directly after, you know, he had two base hits in today's game, made a great double play at second base. Um, so a little recency bias here. But I think he's he's proved himself to be a very good defensive second baseman. On top of that, he seems to have Cora's trust, um, not only to handle that position, but to be in the lineup every day. Every time that there's a chance to get in the lineup, Cora seems to put him there. Um, last time I checked earlier today, he was hitting like 261 uh, and playing stellar second base defense. For me, that's that's not what I expected. I expected like a 225, 230 uh, from him. So this is great. He's hitting like 35 points higher than expectations. The power's not there. But on a day like today where the bottom third of the lineup is carrying the offense, he was huge. And I expect him to play a lot more going forward, especially with Marvin Gonzalez slumping. I don't know how you feel about that, but especially when, you know, other guys aren't hitting well. 
he seems to just be a plug and produce kind of guy. Yeah, and he's kind of starting, the numbers are kind of starting to tick upwards, as you said, and we're all kind of getting to know Christian as well, these first several games. He hasn't really had a breakout year yet in his MLB career. He's been kind of hampered by injuries. This is already his third MLB team, and I like what I'm seeing. If you go back to that extra inning game, he hit like a slow grounder to first base, but it moved the runner from second to third. And even though he wasn't able to leg out the single, he was thrilled with that. And you could just see how fired up he was when he got back to the dugout. He's just was that was that when he tried to bunt unsuccessfully in the first pitch of that at bat? I, I believe so. And then and then it ended up being essentially a bunt. You know, even though it was he swung for it and. But he moved the runner over, and I want to say it was in the ninth inning as well. I could be I mistaken. It, I think it was because that was, I think, prior to the, the Dahlbeck beating out the uh, double play to score that run. Right. Absolutely. I wonder if he was even the run that came across when uh, when Dahlbeck hit that ball. I think that is how it happened, actually, and it tied the game. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, which, as everyone knows, is pretty big on why we're – why we're here today in such a good mood is seven wins in a row, right? So yeah. um, I think he's been key to that. And if I look at the numbers, I mean, I, I sold him short a little bit when I said 261. He's seven for 24, hitting about 290, uh, two RBIs. He's playing, like I said, great defense. So I can't hate that. And how do you send him down um, at any given point? I guess you can't because he has no options. But how do you sit him down, I should say? Um, when Marwin Gonzalez has struggled a little bit, he's played good defense uh, at every position, but he struggled a little bit with the bat, even the other day with the Orioles. Um, you know, to quote Dennis Eckersley, everybody was in on the party except Marwin Gonzalez. Um, <laughs> he went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. And Arroyo's not striking out a lot. He's putting, con- uh, you know, he's putting the bat head on the ball and he's doing the little things. He's hustling. Today he had a great defensive play behind second base um, to get a double play that really kind of killed the momentum for the twins when they thought they could, you know, come back and tie that game in the eighth inning. Uh, and it's been fantastic to watch the hustle from all these guys buying into Alex Cora. Alex Cora is the X factor that I did not know that I needed uh, <laughs> to see this Red Sox team succeed. You and I were both anti bringing back Cora, but now I'm on board. Yeah. I mean, we have no choice to be at this point. He's not going anywhere anytime soon. So, um, but this team is playing for him, and that kind of plays into one of my biggest surprises is the starting pitching really has been stout the whole time. Really, the only bad start so far was that one Garrett Richards start. Everybody's been solid since then, and, and he had a much better second start, and that's a big reason why we're seven in a row at, at this moment. Uh, I very much agree. I think the one thing that you really noticed, um, Pavetta, people will say, oh, but Pavetta had six runs. I'm like, well, no, he got left in a little bit too long um, because we were up, what, 11 to 1 at that point. Uh, and he gave up a, a garbage time home run, which made his line look a little bit worse. But he was fantastic as far as expectations go. And so were a bunch of other guys. So the pitching's been great. And today, I don't know if you noticed this, Terry, but I was watching the broadcast when Perez came out. And the first thing Cora did is put up five fingers and tell Cor- tell Perez all the things 
that he liked about his pitching performance today, which I know you were listening on the radio. I listened to Joe Siglione for the first half of it. He clearly didn't have the best stuff. I mean, he gave up two walks, hit by pitch, gave up two runs in the first inning. But he was gritty, and you could see Cora walk him through exactly what he did right, what he did wrong, and they give him a big bear hug. These guys love playing for Cora, and the pitching is just grinding it out on days where, I mean, 33 degrees, guy from Venezuela can't even feel his hand, he said. So the fact that he's willing to go out there and just pitch his ass off for Alex Cora is fantastic. I love it. Yeah, that was a rough first inning, and then he just was able to grind through uh, the next several. So good to see. And he's he's the horse we, we thought he would be. He's probably going to get lit up here and there. Um, but he's he's going to help us win a lot of games for sure. All right, so just kind of getting into the league here. One team that stands out to me is the Anaheim Angels. I did not really see them getting off to a relatively hot start. Pitching was a question mark. And in Joe Madden's second year, looks looks like a pretty competitive team, and they've got some fire. Yeah, I mean, you look at the lineup in, on paper, and you think, okay, this team's going to be good with Trout and Otani and Rendon, all of whom who can play. Um, and then you look at the rotation, you think, okay, they need they need some more here. They're not a great team. But Joe Madden, in true you know Joe Madden fashion, is pulling the best out of his team. And so far, they're making it competitive. I feel like when I talk about the Angels, we should have Charlie Smith on this show. Because he's <laughs> the only one of us that picked the Angels to be competitive this year. Um, but just watching them play, they're, they're playing with confidence. They're playing with energy, um, and they're picking each other up. You know, on days where their pitching is not good, they're putting up eight, nine, ten runs. And on days where their pitching is good, the bats are kind of silent. They're, they can win games both ways, so it's exciting to watch. And I hope Trout finally gets to the playoffs. I hope this is the year. Well, the rest of the AL West, I know we're going to talk about it, looks a little bit weak. Trout is hitting 400 right now. No shock. His on-base percentage is 543, so he's getting on base over half the time. Shohei Otani hitting 341. He's made one start so far, unless he's starting tonight. I didn't check, uh, but a very solid four and two-thirds outing. And Anthony Rendon is his typical self. He's on the DL right now, but is only expected to be on there the minimum uh, amount of time. So. No real concerns there, but this is definitely a team that can hit. And if well, they... one thing I want to say about Trout, you know, just well before you move off of hitting, um, I saw a stat today that Trout in his last 162 games. So I understand no one plays a full 162 in the season. Uh, he's got 57 home runs. <laughs> so if you think about that for a second, right? That's that is never before been seen from a right-handed bat that that I can think of. Um, and he's the face of the game. If he can carry this team and get a little bit of help, just a little bit of help, uh, I think there's a chance that he takes his team to the playoffs. Well, hopefully. You're starting to get the the sense that he's he's sick of not playing in October and not quite the Nolan Arenado, like, get me the hell out of here type talk, but he's putting pressure on the front office and and he wants to win, so... Hopefully this is the year, and if they can get Dylan Bundy 
and Alex Cobb, two kind of retread guys pitching, you know, fairly well. And then Shohei lives up to what seems like an impossible hype, but <laughs> who knows? Then this is going to be a very fun team to watch. Uh, getting through the division, though, I picked Oakland to win it, and then they went 0 for their first six. And I thought, oh, what a brilliant pick that was. And then they lost Trevor Rosenthal for. It looks like it's going to be at least two or three months. and uh, But they have turned it around. They've won five out of their last six. They're five and seven. So maybe they'll make it a little interesting. But Bob Melvin usually has that team pretty competitive. I think Oakland is always competitive. They always get the best out of their guys, A through Z. And that, that predates Bob Melvin. That goes all the way back to you know Billy Bean uh, being the general manager there. The one thing I love about Oakland is that all of these guys who are there, they are not there on a big contract. They always seem to have this underdog, chip-on-their-shoulder mentality. Or they're in the Matt Chapman situation. They're working for that next big deal. So I think everybody is just energized. They can definitely go on a run. And they got Mitchie two bags too, Mitch Moreland. So a nice Hard vet- not to root for him. N- nice veteran presence on that team. Another team that's interesting, uh, I had them as a wild card team. Uh, the Houston Astros are off to a decent uh, start. Yuli Gurriel hitting 417. That'll obviously come down to earth. They're getting good starting pitching out of Christian Javier, who I'm not overly familiar with. He has an ERA just over two. And I really like the vibe of the Astros. It, through all the scandals and the manager changes and Springer leaving, they're not really missing a beat. And a lot of you guys picked the Astros to win the division, and I can see the Astros going to the World Series, quite frankly. Well, I think this whole team is playing the way that they played prior to the 2017 World Series, which is to say, with confidence, they know they can do things that the rest of us are kind of doubting. The whole world is on this, you know, middle fingers up to the Astros scenario. They're getting fake trash cans thrown on the field. Real <laughs> yeah. trash cans are thrown on the field in some places. And they're getting booed out of their own stadium by opposing fans. So to me, this team is on a prove-it kind of tour. And I'm expecting some serious revenge out of these bats. You know, there's some guys on this team like Altuve who last year had one of his worst years of his career, and everyone kind of said, oh, well, they don't have the trash cans, they don't have the video, they can't hit anymore. But if you look at it A through Z, up and down the lineup, this team is full of really, really talented players that had bad 2020s. And I think you look at guys like J.D. Martinez had a bad 2020, that doesn't make him a bad hitter. So they're finally kind of trying to show the world and all these fans – in the words of, you know, Kurt Schilling, I can't think of something better than making 30,000 fans from New York shut up. They want everybody to shut up. Just play baseball. They can definitely go on a run. Absolutely. And everybody you would expect to be hitting well is. Altuve's off to a good start. Correa's off to a good start. Jordan Alvarez is hitting moonshots. And Kyle Tucker is off to a, a little bit of a slow start, but I, I think he's going to turn it around and be the de facto uh, George Springer. So um, it's nice to see. And 
we were joking about Tony Larusa before we come on, but Dusty Baker, one of those old school guys, a a, a guy you know, that players love to play for. I agree with you. I've met Dusty Baker a couple of times. I've been fortunate enough to do that. He's a hard nosed guy who takes no nonsense, and he's going to keep his guys focused all season long, whether they have a a good day or a bad day. He's not going to let them get too high or too low on winning streaks or losing streaks, no matter what the fans are saying. And he'll take the brunt of the criticism uh, for the team and let them just perform, which is going to put them in a great position to win. And on top of that, I think the one thing that no one's really talking about, the reason they're not talking about it is because the other stadium that's really at full capacity is, is in Arlington and the, the Rangers are terrible is having fans in the stands. I think it makes a huge difference to the players to have support in the stands and Houston is one of the two cities that's going to have full attendance all season and absolutely support their guys to the hilt. If you're an Astros fan who's still showing up to games right now, you don't care about trash cans. And I think it's important that to those players that they get that applause. Absolutely. Absolutely. And different stadiums are have different capacity restrictions and Fenway is actually on the lower end. Uh, they can only have second lowest in baseball, 4,500 people. So who's the lowest? 12%. Do you know? Nationals are at, nationals are at uh, 10%. Oh, okay. I noticed the, Washington. the Cubs seem to have a lot in attendance. I noticed. So they must be as do Colorado. I think there's a lot of places that are starting to kind of up their attendance. Minnesota, I know had 10,000 fans uh, for yesterday's game slated. So, there's a lot of fans in a lot of cities, but uh, nothing quite beats a full a full stadium in any event, right? So yeah, I hope it. I hope at some point, you know, we'll be able to get out to Fenway for a full stadium this summer. Hopefully, uh, just today, I guess they're going to halt the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So um, you know that could put a damper on it, but hopefully not. Uh, moving on, Blake Snell. One of the big gets for the San Diego Padres, not off to a great start. And then today just lasts two thirds of one inning. Didn't even get out of the first inning. They had to pull him. Gave up three runs. The bases were loaded. Got to be a little disappointing for Padres fans. You know, I think Padres fans have had a rough go of it here over the last 10 days, even with their record being seven and three. You know, you lose Tatis Jr. for a couple of weeks. It's easy to get a damper on things. Uh, and your, your new workhorse in Snell comes out and pitches an absolute dud today um, to the worst team in baseball in the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're not a good team. Um, they don't have a good offense at all. And you expect a guy who's not hurt to go cruise through this game. Even an average pitcher should be doing well in this game, but Snell should have gone seven uh, or six-plus innings against this team, giving up maybe one one or two earned runs, and he didn't. I wonder if maybe he was tipping pitches um, or there's something else going on with him that they gave him the uh, you know the yank so fast because he's too good a pitcher to give up runs like that without something else peripheral going on. And the rest of that team is really performing up to standard or above standard. Uh, you know, Joe Musgrove had the first no-hitter in team history last week. You Darvish has looked great. So I think there's some real bright spots still for San Diego. 
but I would be very worried uh, about Blake Snell's health for the next couple of days. I think we'll hear some more information. And if he is healthy, I'd be worried that he's tipping pitches. Yeah, another thing that comes to my mind, Tampa's got one of the best pitching programs in Major League Baseball. I think second to the Indians. Or if you want to throw the Astros in the top three, go ahead and put them in any order you want then. But those are the top three, arguably. And I think without a doubt, Tampa Bay's the top three. Yeah. And then so he goes from that program over to San Diego – who is coached by Larry Rothschild, the long, the long-term uh, Yankees, Yankees pitching coach. coach? And I thought maybe that was kind of—he seems like an outdated type of guy to still be in the game in a big team. You know, that's you know, arguably going to be a World Series contender. So I just wonder how Snell is is going to pitch for them, and if maybe that's affecting him as well. You know, I'm sure it is. I think the one thing that we've seen about Tampa Bay, that we've seen about Cleveland, um, I wouldn't necessarily put the Astros in that same category yet uh, because they've taken guys and put them back together, but they haven't really built the young guys up yet, um, is that you see guys come out that are absolute studs every season. Um, they're doing something right in terms of teaching pitchers how to take care of their arms because not a lot of those guys get hurt in Tampa. Uh, and they're also teaching these guys how to perform at a high level. If there is something going on with Blake Snell making that transition, that's difficult. I think Larry Rothschild has been around long enough to know, well, okay, we'll treat Blake Snell the way that we sometimes treat these Japanese guys who come over from the NBL, which is you want to be on a different program than the rest of the team? Okay, show me what you were doing in Tampa, and we'll just do that. Because if it turned you into a Cy Young who should – you know, taking the ball in game seven of the, or game five of the World Series and gone eight innings. Uh, that's the guy they, they paid for in that trade. So I wouldn't be surprised if they change up his pitching program after this start. Yeah. And another situation with Tampa that comes to mind is Chris Archer. He was traded to the the Pirates and what was probably the worst trade of all time. <laughs> the, the, the Rays. You could get- arguably say. The Rays get back Glass now and Austin Meadows in that deal, <laughs> which is absolutely yeah, two insane. Everyday players and Glass now is going to win a Cy Young eventually, if not this year, next year. Yeah, um, and Meadows is an everyday outfielder, so that is arguably one of the worst trades ever. I don't know why any team wants to do business with Tampa anymore. It's like trying to do business with uh, Danny Ainge in basketball or Bill Belichick in football. It's just you lose every time. Not a good idea, right? And but what I was saying was uh, Archer's last start was he was rolling through that start, uh, but then left the game with forearm tightness. So um, that's usually a, a terrible uh, reason to leave a game. But um, if there's no serious injuries, it'll be interesting to see if he can you know further resurrect his career now that he's back in Tampa. Uh, the Washington Nationals off to a rough start. They're currently two and six. That's an organization that's turbulent at times, up and down. They did win a championship a couple of years ago, finally, because they're always a great looking team on paper. But what do you make of uh, this year's start? Well, so if you want to talk about pain, talk about the Washington Nationals. We talk about going worst to first to worst to first. That's the definition of a, the 
the life of a Nats fan is your team is great. Your team underperforms. Your team looks great. They underperform every year. And um, this start is concerning for me because it's not one guy that's underperforming. It's everybody but Juan Soto. Um, Strasburg hasn't looked great. Scherzer has not looked good. And he's in a contract year. Um, and the bats just haven't, haven't been there. So with the rest of the division looking the way it does, I think – the alarm bells are going to start to ring in Washington much sooner than you might expect for a team that was out of the world series two years ago. Yeah. And I mean, if Scherzer can turn it around, Patrick Corbin got roughed up and his one and only start so far, he's got to turn it around. Uh, Strasburg has always kind of worried me for health reasons. I was really shocked. They added seven more years to his deal after the world series, but um, but yeah, I trust that the hitting will, will come around, but the, the pitching's going to have to, especially in that division right now. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, there's studs throughout that division. You look at guys like Acuna, like Bryce Harper, um, even in Miami, they're putting together a great young team. If you don't have the pitching that you expect from Scherzer, which is to say, if you don't get six plus innings every fifth day, you're in real trouble. And if it's Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin all underperforming, you're going to lose a lot of games because even if you have a great offense, there's some great pitching in that division too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Alcantara, the the Marlins pitcher, number one in the NL right now. um, Has been tearing it up. Yeah, with Jake DeGrom right there. Uh, You could make a solid case right now, even based on how any of them started, you could make a solid case that any one of those teams can win 90 games. You can't do that in any division. So Absolutely. And you, you can't do it anywhere else except, you know, people say, oh, the Dodgers and the Padres and everybody else, um, or the AL East has a bunch of good teams. No, the National League East is wide open. Anybody can win that division. The Marlins are going to get better. They need Sixto Sanchez back in a couple of weeks, um, and they're going to take a big leap forward. The Nationals expect Strasburg to be better. They expect – Scherzer to be Scherzer, they could easily win 90 games. Um, we've seen already the Braves kind of starting to pick it up a little bit uh, offensively and defensively with great pitching, um, and they're going to get some help with their with their star from last season, Soroka, coming back. And then Philly is a Dave Dombrowski team, so if they're in the hunt, they're going to go they're going to go shopping at the deadline, and they could easily win 90 games and win the division. Well, the Phillies got a two-year window before they're going to be in complete purgatory for eight years. So, which, which is great because Aaron Nola's contract is up in 2023. Okay, perfect. Hopefully, he's uh, he's not dumb enough to take an extension with them. Uh, and then finally, has there been any bad umpiring this year? Well, ask Alex Bohm. Uh, I think he would tell you no, and then ask the Braves, and they would tell you yes. Uh, that call at home plate the other night in that Sunday night baseball game was terrible. Uh, Bohm, for anybody who didn't see it, tagged up on a fly ball to Ozuna in left field um, and quote-unquote beat the throw home, but he clearly didn't touch home plate. It was called safe on the field. The call was reviewed. By every angle, he was out. Um, but the call on the field stood. So, yeah, there's been some bad umpiring, and replays are taking way longer than they should terry so if we're gonna have replay in the sport and not have just human error we're gonna do a better job at implementing it 
Theo Epstein and, and the whole crew that's in charge of doing it in Major League Baseball needs to be better. Yeah, and that that play, I mean, it couldn't have been on like the worst stage possible. It's ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. The whole country is watching it, not just two small regions. It's the only game on. Yeah. Right? It's the only game on at 8 p.m. on a Sunday night. There's every other game finished like two hours before that. So people are just watching Sunday night baseball and two good teams. And it comes down to umpiring. It's like, it's almost like Angel Hernandez was behind the plate and he wasn't. Um, so A through Z, I think major league baseball has a big replay issue. People seem to already be talking about that. It's adding six, seven minutes to some games based on how long they have the headphones on. But if you're going to have replay and you're still going to get the call calls wrong, just do away with the whole thing. Let's go back to uh, human error. Yeah, I love that because it gets people talking about the game. And this was so controversial that people were talking anyway, obviously. But but I like that. It creates suspense and it, and it gets people talking. And, you know, I don't have a problem that the umpire at home plate got it wrong. But when the replay doesn't get it right, that's just, that's just inexcusable. And... I feel bad for JT Real Muto, who defended home plate perfectly. Boom, like well, he made a he made a perfect play. Yeah, blocked the plate. Boom, bounced right off of him. It's almost like he was just a statue right there, and Boom wasn't going to get through, and and uh, you know couldn't have played it more perfectly. And the other crazy yeah, thing, and I think, or go ahead, go, go ahead, Terry. I was going to say the other crazy thing was the ball came from Marcelo Zuna, who's not even a good fielder. Right. And <laughs> not a good fielder. And actually, you know, three, four years ago, I think he, he was in the gold glove conversation uh, out in left field. And then the defensive metrics kind of caught up to some of the offensive stats that they have now. And people realize he's not a good fielder. So they, they made they took that chance. They sent Alex Bohm. He was out. It wasn't by much, but he was out. And uh, they made a, a big mistake at home plate. They made an even bigger mistake in New York, letting the whole world watch that and then making the call wrong, uh, I think is unfortunate. The big, the big thing to me is you and I just talked about how close this division is. If this division comes down to one game, you know, and this is a tight race at the end of the season, it's all decided by New York getting a call wrong. I'm going to be furious. And so are a lot of Braves fans and a lot of Philly fans. Yeah, I could see that. You know, the... The games you win in April are just as important as the games you win in September. So, um, hopefully, and that two teams, wh- whoever they end up being, whether it's the Phillies and the Braves, the Mets and the Braves, the Nationals get back into it. You know, it's this division's going to be a dogfight all the way through. So, oh, one hundred percent. I think even you know the Marlins have a chance to be in it all the way to the end. Uh, I think they're still, you know, a year away from real contention in that division. But I know Jason loves them, um, and he picked them to to get into the wild card. And I don't think that's a bad pick. They could easily make a run. Anybody in that division could. Yeah, one team will from that division. I'm I'm fairly certain. And then the Padres or the Dodgers will will get it from the uh, the NL West. So. Um, yeah, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun season. So I guess we'll wrap on that. We will be back on Thursday night to record the regular Bastards of Boston episode to go over the 
twin series, which has got a little bit more interesting now because one game was postponed. So two of the games will be seven innings. Those will be on Wednesday, which is probably going to be today for most of the listening audience. So hope everybody enjoys that and uh, hope you're enjoying baseball and we'll be back with you shortly. Take care.